Hey everyone, welcome back to Stories from the Influencer Economy. This is your old pal Ryan Williams. Excited to post this episode. It's with Near Ale. It's actually from a few months ago. I interviewed him about his hooked book, How to Build Habit Forming Products. And it's worth sticking around to the end because he gives advice for podcasts, how to hook people. We talk about YouTubers, creators online, and how products are only a part of the hooked model. I learned so much from this. So thank you for listening. Before I jump into the show, this episode is sponsored by my book, The Influencer Economy, scheduled to release in December. Go to influencereconomy.com slash book. Sign up for exclusives. I'll be releasing the chapters ahead of time, giving out videos as well. A lot of great content. Hopefully you'll get a lot from it. And the book is about this new economy, how to navigate through crowdfunding, through Reddit, through social media, YouTube, building companies off podcasts, and all that great stuff that you've heard on the show. Without further ado, here's Near Ale for episode number 63. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm here with Near Ale. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. So uh, excited to have you here. You have recently become a bestseller with your book, Hooked. Thank you. Yes. Congratulations. Thanks. I appreciate it. And uh, we're here for a lot of different reasons to have you on the show, but one is the story of your book, how you wrote it. You have an amazing background as an entrepreneur, but you went through the process of starting your own company, and then you wrote the book, as, and it was a blog originally. You then aggregated the content because there was a following around it, attracted a publisher, and then here you are, a bestseller author. Another great angle that I'd love to talk about is how the book itself is forming, it's about habit-forming products. But I think your book could be applied to a larger landscape. Did you think the book would be this successful? No, I mean, I never set out to, to write this book until it was pretty much done. Um, and it's it's been a, a really nice surprise. Uh, it wasn't, wasn't my intention. I, I started blogging about stuff that I found fascinating and that I wanted to know. I think that's Maybe that's one of the myths of, of authors is that I think a lot of people think, well, you know, you become an author when you know what you're going to write about and then you write it. And, and maybe that's how some authors do it. That's certainly not the way I did it. I, I thought about the questions that I most wanted to know about. And what was fascinating to me was how do products change our behavior, right? What is it about these companies that started, you know, five to 10 years ago, uh, came out of nowhere, started by college kids, and somehow are having a profound impact on people's day-to-day lives. What is it about these companies, the Facebooks and Twitters and Instagrams and Pinterest and WhatsApp, even in the enterprise space, companies like Slack and Salesforce and GitHub, like where do they come from? How do they do it? And so that's really what drove me. It was to figure out how do these products create habits. And so I just started chiseling away at, at the psychology that uh, unfortunately was kind of pent up in the ivory tower of academia and I read a lot of books, and I did a lot of interviews, and uh, you know, really wanted to scratch my own itch of answering my own questions around these products. And lo and behold, you know, I was, I was writing to answer my own questions, and then after about two and a half years, I had enough content that my readers uh, were asking, "Hey, where's the book? You know, I want to I want to give this to somebody. I want people to know what 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 I've read on your blog. How do I do that?" Uh, so that's when I decided, "Hey, we really have to make this book." And so, if you could articulate the book. Like how do you explain it to your to your parents or yeah how would my how would you make this wide and accessible to my mom who <laughs> uses an iPhone and doesn't have Twitter but likes Instagram right how how do you how do you uh, 
do you, do you share the message of the book to people? So the, the, the core of the book is how does one go about making a product that people use on their own? How do you create unprompted engagement using a product without a prompt, without the need for expensive advertising and spammy marketing? How do you get people to form habits around your product so they come back on their own? How do companies do that? And what's a good example of a, a company that you read about, you researched, that you're like, okay, this product nailed it right. for getting us to get habits? Well, I think a, a great example of that is, is Facebook. Uh, I remember when I was uh, at Stanford in the MBA program there, and uh, Mark Zuckerberg came in. He was a guest speaker in one of our classes. This was in 2007. Uh, and he was, you know, Facebook was already a big deal. I think by that point he had turned down the billion-dollar offer from, from Yahoo and Everybody in the class thought he was a big idiot. I mean, this kid, this this twenty-something kid, uh, turned down a billion bucks from Yahoo. Well, he knew something, right? He knew that fifty percent of his users came back every day, right? Like these unbelievable engagement rates. The reason that company is so valuable is because for so many people, it's a habit. It's something that people do with little or no conscious thought, multiple times a day. And even though it started out as, as what many people dismissed as you know, nice to have, a feature of somebody else's product, something that's just like a toy, uh, today these things, this product is very important in people's lives. It's something that if Zuckerberg tomorrow said, hey, you know what, I've made enough money, I'm shutting down Facebook, a lot of people would have conniption fits, right? That would be a big problem for a lot of folks. Right, so it's so addictive, it's part of our lifestyle. And so when something like Facebook permeates us, like how often do we check these products? Like, what's, is there an average stat that you found remarkable? Right, so some, some stats show that we check our smartphones about uh, 150 times a day is kind of the latest uh, stat that's circulating. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's the frequency, too. It's, it's, it's how frequently in a week do we check these products. And so if you look at a product like WhatsApp, which was you know, acquired not that long ago by Facebook for First. $22 billion. Uh, We're in the wrong business. <laughs> well, a big reason that that company was worth so much, it's not the underlying technology. The underlying technology is actually you know, not that special. A lot of people could make that technology. The, the fact that they had that big of a user base and that that big of a user base was using that product so frequently. So 74% of the people who have that app use it every single day. I mean, that is a, that's a tremendous stat. So what's, a, what's another product that you think that is exemplary? Because it's a four-step process, correct? Mm-hmm. Of, right. Of, and so your, your goal is to help people build the apps, and so you've gone and done some really good research and thorough. Mm-hmm. So what's a, can you walk us through the four-step process? And, sure. And just tell us, like, as someone, because I'm looking at this as a creator, mm-hmm. you, can, you can really apply the mentality to a lot of different things, mm-hmm. and your, your impetus was to write around building technology products. Right. So f- how can this uh, four-step process be uh, just applied to, you think, uh, I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, any creative endeavor, you could potentially think about this. Well, you can certainly take a lot of the lessons from consumer psychology and the things that I talk about in the book uh, piecemeal. So even if you're not creating the kind of product that requires a habit, and I should say, look, not every business needs a habit to bring customers back. There are lots of ways to bring customers back to your product without a habit. You can use search engine optimization. You can use advertising. You can, heck, you can have a physical storefront to bring people back. That's fine. But if you're building the kind of product that requires a habit, just like the companies we talked about earlier, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, WhatsApp, these companies have to have a habit. Without a habit, their business model would crumble. They require habits. So if your business model requires the habit, 
you have to have a hook. You have to have this four-step process. If your business doesn't require a habit, that's fine, right? If you can support your business without a habit, that's fine. But you can still look at the four steps of the hook and learn from them. You can take these lessons from from consumer psychology piecemeal. And so what's the vitamin theory? So vitamins and painkillers? Yeah, I love that. Right, so... There's this common knowledge and what kind of what every MBA learns is that um, you don't want to build a vitamin. You want to make the kind of product that's a painkiller. A painkiller is a kind of product that people need, right? That they can tell you, they can articulate, stop my pain. This is the kind of product I need in my life. And that's great. There's great businesses that can be started over painkiller type products. But vitamins, even though they're frequently dismissed, vitamin pr- products are the ones that you know your, your MBA professors and your investors will tell you, nah, that's not a good idea because it's not something that people really need, right? A vitamin is a nice to have. It's not a must have. And investors will ding you and pass on that investment because it, they deem it as you know not really so necessary. So it's not necessarily a complimentary thing. Right. It's, it's something that is a nice to have. It's not a must have. But here's the irony of that, is that if you think about the products that we just talked about, Snapchat and Instagram and Pinterest and WhatsApp and, and, you know, many of these products, they all started out as vitamins. They started out as these nice-to-haves. And what made them over time into painkillers, what made them these parts of people's lives that now, if they suddenly disappeared, would be a problem, is that they managed to evolve from vitamins to painkillers by building user habits. Because part of the definition of a habit is it's a behavior done with little or no conscious thought, and that not doing that behavior causes us a bit of pain. And so uh, can you just, I, your, your book is about the four-step process, mm-hmm. and it's how many pages? Uh, about 250 pages. Okay. Mm-hmm. So distilling that down now. Um, <laughs> to 30 seconds? To 30 seconds. But sure. What's, uh, or even just a minute or two, just tell yeah. us the process so someone can apply it to their own work. Sure. So the four-step process of a hook is these, uh, it starts off with a trigger. A trigger is, is something that cues the user to action, that tells the user what to do next. And we have internal triggers and we have external triggers. The end goal of a habit-forming product is to form this association with an internal trigger. An internal trigger is, is a, a situation, a routine, a place, even a person, and most frequently an emotion that tells the user what to do next. So when you're lonely, check Facebook. When you're uncertain, you Google. When you're bored, YouTube, check stock prices, sports scores, news, right? Lots of solutions for this internal trigger of boredom. So the holy grail is to form this association, to form this link with these internal triggers in our life. To do that, we run users through this four-step process of after the internal trigger, after the internal trigger is felt, the user takes the action, which is something that is a behavior that's done uh, with little or no conscious thought in anticipation of a reward. So scrolling on Pinterest or pushing the play button on YouTube, uh, these very, very, very simple actions done in anticipation of a reward. Then comes the reward itself. Uh, Many times this is a variable reward. It's something that has a bit of uncertainty, a bit of mystery involved. Uh, It comes from the work of, the classic work of B.F. Skinner around variable reinforcement. And then- I love how you distilled all these scientific theories. There's nothing worse than reading a book that is written by academics mm. and scientists that are completely out of touch mm-hmm. with like how to articulate something to a normal person. Right. So I, my, the, the book, uh, you know, I, I'm not a PhD. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I've started two companies and I really wanted to write the kind of book that I wanted to read. And I didn't want a lot of storytelling. I didn't want a lot of scientific, uh, you know, I didn't want to know how the research was done. I wanted to know how, uh, what, what the results were of the research and how do I apply it to my business, right? How do I build a better product? So it's practical. It's a guidebook. That's, that's really my goal was, was I 
wanted to write the kind of book that somebody, an, a busy entrepreneur could skip to the end of each chapter and be told, here's what you should do to build your habit-forming product. And then if they want to learn more, if they want to go in further depth, hey, they can you know, dive into those chapters as well. The, the last step of the hook that we didn't get to was, is the investment phase. And this is a frequently overlooked part of the hook, that people building habit-forming products uh, neglect to ask the user to invest in the product. They, uh, the investment phase is where the user puts something into the product in anticipation of a future benefit. So is that like so, posting a photo and getting a like? Right, exactly. Data, giving the company data, accruing followers, uh, reputation, uh, uh, giving the company, storing content with so the company. So Twitter followers is that right. metric. Exactly. All, all, anything that the user does in anticipation of a future reward that most importantly stores value. And this is a huge benefit of habit-forming products is that they get better the more we use them. So they're smarter and they're more tailored to us. Yeah, yeah, they literally get better with time. And that makes them sticky. Right, exactly. So the more value, the more followers you have, the more data you give a company, the more content you store, it's harder to leave that product. What's interesting is podcasts don't have an external metric. Mm -hmm. So there's no way to play a game to get, like no one sees my viewers or or my streams. And so YouTube, it, psychologically, if I see a million viewed video, it could be Charlie bit my finger. Right. But I'm going to be more likely to click on that because it's that social proof. Right. Well, what, what's happened now, I think, the reason that podcast is having such a renaissance right now is because the tools to listen have become much easier. Mm-hmm. And then there's these enabling technologies that are making the hook possible. If you think about it, look at a product like Stitcher. Right. The, Who just the, got acquired. They did? Yeah, by, uh, by a European company. Oh, I didn't, I didn't hear that. Yeah. It was a good exit? I, I, the details were not led. Oh, is that right? Yeah. How long ago was this? It's like uh, six weeks ago. Oh, I, I must have missed that. But I think that's and a great example. And Swell got acquired. Swell got acquired. By, by I, Apple. Apple, right, right. So I think, you know, if you look at a product like like uh, Stitcher, which personally I know a lot about because I, I happen to use it, and it's completely changed my habit of, of how I consume uh, audio content, in that, you know, it used to be, it was, it was kind of a pain, right? Like to... To, to, to use iTunes, to download the episode, it wasn't, it wasn't very easy. Whereas with Stitcher, it's one button, right? The, 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 the internal trigger is, is this routine of waking up in the morning, wanting to listen to the news, or maybe it's your commute. With one button, you push it. That's the action phase. The variable reward is the content itself, right? Podcasting is interesting because you're not quite certain what I'm going to say next, right? What You're waiting to anticipate the answer to, to uh, a question. And then the investment with Stitcher was creating your little playlist, Right, so that it plays this, you know, you save. Here's the podcast I listen to, and with one button, it plays just these podcasts. Well, that's the investment phase. That's the bit of work, customizing your playlist. And so it just takes a few minutes to get right. someone invested. But now, somebody else comes along. Well, you've already committed. You've already invested in this other product. Right. And so, therefore, I'm more likely to go back and use it. Exactly. So the investment's more of a subtle thing. Yeah. It's like we don't even realize we're doing any oh, yeah. investing, but it's, it's liking on Facebook, it's adding content on Pinterest, it's commenting, it's anything that, that makes the product better the more you do it. And so for marketers, are you trying to, to position this as a way for people to build the products to not rely on social networks? Because we're talking before that people think if you get a celebrity to tweet your product, it's actually not that efficient. Hmm. But you have to have the product be existing in a way that people can live in that product and not hmm. have to share it out to get value? Well, growth, you know, growth is only part of the equation. So when I, I, I do uh, uh, some angel investing and, and when I look at a company uh, and, and figure out, hey, you know, is this an exciting product? Does this have potential? I look for these three things of growth, engagement, and monetization. I call it the GEM model. I don't know. I, I probably heard it from somebody else, but that's what I look for. Growth, engagement, monetization. 
Hooked is all about engagement. It's one piece of the puzzle. Each is necessary but not sufficient. So when I look for a startup, I look for two of the three and a plan for the third. And growth, you know, getting celebrity endorsements or getting the TechCrunch bounce or anything like that, that's terrific, but that's growth. You know, we've seen a lot of companies back when, when I was in uh, my, la- my last company, you know, virality was everything. Everything had to go viral, and Facebook was the primary platform to do that. Well, we saw that a lot of those companies got big. They got millions of users overnight, but then they were leaky buckets. They couldn't keep people around because they didn't have an engagement mechanism to keep those people coming back. Oh, so that's growth without engagement is meaningless. That's great. So people are so focused on growth right now. Right, if it's, but growth on its own is not good enough. Now, so, th- those together is a dynamic duo, but you need both. So your, product, your book is uh, helping people with products to get the engagement level? Right, right. And that, what was your motivation? Was it to, to conquer that? As, exactly. Because you said before that it, we had talked that your, your last company, you just saw some problems mm-hmm. with product, and that's what the, like, what was the main impetus for the book? Well, the, the, from my last company, we were at the intersection of gaming and advertising, and I saw a ton of experiments, right? I saw, we worked with, cl- our client base were advertisers, it was game developers, and we would see these companies kind of come and go, and I wanted to look for the patterns. I wanted to try and figure out what it was about these companies that made some successful and some disasters. And so that's really was the impetus for this book, is after that company was acquired, my last company was acquired, I wanted to sit down and really figure out what's this deep psychology behind what makes these products some of them habits and some of them flops so and going through that process now you're a storyteller Hmm. like would you ever imagine that your career would have taken this direction no i never set out to be an author (laughs) and you're you're fascinated by learning and you teach yeah so you have these characteristics that are you know in your it's the investment you know you love to to participate have conversations yeah so when did you realize you wanted to be a storyteller i went with the blog and you know, you, we talked about reaching this high yeah. where you, as a, you become an artist or a thinker and right. it's like this level that you have to like commit fully. Well, there is, there is, a, there is, a, you have to get uh, your, your family on, your friends on board. And yeah. Well, I took some time off. It takes uh, a village. Yeah. I, I took some time off to figure out what I really wanted to do next. Um, and, uh, I just started writing for myself, right? Like I didn't care if anybody read it. I just started putting stuff out up there and then I got emails from different publications saying, Hey, can we syndicate your stuff? And, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't seek those people, but you know, they, they kind of found me, which was great. Uh, and then it, it you know, it, it's kind of habit forming. <laughs> Blogging is pretty habit forming because the variable reward of putting up content is the feedback you get. Comments. Right. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, it, 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 it brings you in, you're right. Like how many comments on it and shares and, uh, tweets. And there's a lot of feedback that comes in. You know, sometimes people say your stuff is crap. Sometimes people love it and they, they tell you what an impact. So do you had. adjust your content based on your audience? Uh, I don't write for an audience but, per se, but I will, I mean, I've revised much of my content because someone will say, Hey, Nir, you know, you didn't get this point right because think about this example. That's great. Uh, in fact, one of the things I did with the book that I think is a kind of a hidden secret, uh, is that, uh, I let everybody who was a blog subscriber at the time get access to the entire book for free. I put it on Google docs, the entire book which many in the publishing industry would say is nuts, right? I just gave out my book for free before it was even available, right? Dumb. But here's what it did. For those people who signed up and said, yes, I will help you with your book, they got to read the book, but the, 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 the catch was that I wanted to hear what they thought. So they could literally go into my book it's and like, help me edit it's like it. Alpha testing. It was crowd edited. And I had paid a professional editor before I put it out there. But by getting 
the uh, my my readers to tell me what they thought of the book when it was still you know un, un it wasn't launched yet. The book became a hundred percent better. So they cr- you crowdsourced editing. I crowd edited, right? And it was, and then they invested. Mm-hmm. So then once, that's exactly right. Once the book came out, and get, they were part of it. That's exactly right. So nine hundred people's names. You know, I took up the the last uh, three or four pages oh, of the book. Can... Everybody who helped me edit the book is listed. Oh, that's so at the cool. Back. <laughs> and so they're even incentivized. Hey, this book I edited. You know, that's a story they have for a job interview. That's just something unique. It's passionate. Right. They're into it, and they're not doing it for money. Right. Or at least they're keeping tabs on it. Hey, I help with And this they project. want to help you. Right. And so, and so you developed this great community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, in essence, you, so you're practicing what you preach. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I... How did you apply your model to the book? So that the investment phase, you know, a book is not a habit-forming product. A book, you know, you consume, you learn from, then you put it on the shelf and you're done. You read the next book. It's a book by itself is not a habit-forming product. But I use the lessons from consumer psychology and from this book in different phases, right? So, for example, that investment phase yeah. of doing this crazy act of letting people read my book before it's actually available and letting them have it for free. Um, I did that because I wanted people to invest in the book and 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 to 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 put something in to it. And so I love the story about how you actually got approached by a publisher mm. and they read your blog. Mm-hmm. And then the blog content became book content, which is another counterintuitive approach to a publisher be like, never put anything online because mm. you, you give away your ideas. Someone, right. someone else can write your book. And it's a backwards model where you're like spending a year and a half writing a book to put in a bookstore yeah. where you actually had the content over time. You, didn't, you said before you didn't even research the book case studies for the book. Hmm. You were curious. I was just curious. And you wanted to do, you were guided by that in writing blog content. Right. I mean, the the book, backwards is exactly the right word. Because if you think about the publishing industry, you know, a few years ago, a, a, a decade ago or less, it was an author would make a book proposal, they would sell the book proposal, then the book would come out in print, then in paperback, then, you know, maybe eventually uh, some e-format when that, when that was made available at some point in time. Well, I did that exactly backwards. Yeah. Right? Like, I first, first it was the blog, then it was the e-book, then I self-published, then I got picked up by a professional publisher, and now it's in bookstores, and now it's a bestseller. Um, but that model, for me, worked really well, because... I could constantly revise and tweak, uh, and it never felt like a job. It never felt like a career. It was just following my own curiosity. I mean, for an author, curiosity is rocket fuel, right? Like that, I don't know how to how to work on a project that I'm not genuinely curious about. If I'm not curious about the topic, there's going to be no way my readers no are going to be interested. No one's going to be into it, <laughs> right? Right. And so that's why you write because mm-hmm. you are passionate. You're into it. That's right. And so you put the book on Amazon mm-hmm. and you self published it. Is it? More or less the same book that you self-published that became the final. Dr- it's it's almost exactly the same. Uh, there's you know there's some few tweaks that we found. Um, you know I, I I call them versions, right? So it's version one point two, one point whatever. So yeah, so, so it's almost like the editing phase from the crowd was the most important step. That was probably the most important step. Yeah, and like I said, I had it professionally edited before. I mean, like I paid somebody a bunch of money to help me edit the book, and we still found mistakes and we still found improvements, and and it, and it got. 100% better by having the crowd help me with that. And what was it like when you saw it in a bookstore? How did you feel? Oh, that's feel? awesome. Actually, the, to, just today, I saw it for the first time in an airport bookstore, which was to me like, you know, I, I, I said to myself a year ago, oh man, if I ever got into an airport bookstore, that's that, would, it. that would be awesome. That's it. <laughs> and I just took a picture of it today, actually, and it's, it's, it's an amazing feeling. It's, it's really, really cool. And the process you took really was doing it yourself. And you didn't really have the end game of a publisher. You would have obviously love to have gotten it in an airport, but you just created. You were into it. You were passionate. Right. I, I mean, and you're I, creating weekly, regular content. Yes. I mean, I can't. I. 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 
I'd be remiss to, to take all the credit here. I mean, let's, let's be honest. I mean, the book was a collaboration between, uh, first of all, my, my co-author, Ryan Hoover, who is now you product know, hunt. famous for Product Hunt, right? This podcast was featured on it <laughs> Right, exactly. And, and, and it's, uh, it's great. I, I, I'm an investor in Product Hunt. That's I great. love the product. It's amazing to see all, all, all he's done with that. Um, and uh, so that was, a, a, he played a huge role in the book. Uh, the 900 blog readers who helped as contributors, uh, my book agent, the publisher. I mean, this has been a collaborative effort. Uh, but the content itself, as far as the you know the words in the book, that was that was driven by questions I was really curious about. And so, um, one final question mm-hmm. is, like, what was a surprise from the book? Like a question that you didn't even expect you wanted the answer to, that you felt like I've tapped into something that you you didn't set out to, to see. Mm-hmm. Like, was there a, a, a model of like the four step process? Mm. Like, is it, w- w- actually within those four steps, like. What was the one that you found that you were like really passionate about? Was it the investment? Was it the, the hmm. book itself? Well, I, th- I think the investment is the part that people don't necessarily consider, uh, but I think the variable reward is really fascinating. That it's not actually new. I mean, we've known about intermittent reinforcement since the time of B.F. Skinner, right, in the 1950s. It's, it's, it's old in the academic again, literature. Again, you are translating a foreign language, right? right? People haven't heard of B.F. Skinner. They don't know his research. Right. It's profound. Right. Obviously, you, you were inspired by it. Right. So you're like giving this accessibility. Right. So what B.F. Skinner observed in his lab pigeons, yeah. where he would give them a little uh, lever or a little disc to peck at, and what he found was that when these pigeons would peck at this lever at first, uh, the reward was given on a regular basis. So basically, a pigeon would peck at the disc, they would receive a food pellet, he could train these pigeons to peck at this disc whenever they were hungry. But then what Skinner did was introduce intermittent reinforcement. So sometimes the pigeons would peck at this disc nothing would come out, right? No reward. The next time the pigeon would peck at the disc, they would receive a food pellet. And so what Skinner observed was when he gave a reward on an intermittent schedule of reinforcement, the action was observed more frequently. The pigeons pecked more often when there was a bit of mystery, a bit of uncertainty. And so Skinner observed that this was exactly what happens with slot machines. This is exactly what makes gambling habit-forming, if not addictive. And you know what? It's exactly the same psychology in our news feeds. In so many technology products today, searching and searching and scrolling and scrolling to find the next hit is exactly what keeps us coming back. And what are your habit products on your mobile phone, like the top apps that you use? Uh, so I, I struggle with these technologies, even though I know exactly what makes them habit for me. I wrote the book about it, but I, I still struggle with these things because I'm, I'm still trying to figure out where does technology belong? Where does it not belong? How do I make sure that technology is serving me, that I'm not a slave to it? Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I find Twitter very habit for me. I find my email very habit for me. I mean, these products are great. I think they've enhanced my life, but I think we need a degree of caution about, uh, about how we use them. Cool. Well, thank you for coming on. And uh, we'll link to the book in the description. So uh, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Take care. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for joining the podcast this week with Nir Ale, uh, one of my favorite guests. I got more out of this episode than uh, others just in relation to building products and creating user behavior and consumer psychology around tech. I thought it was awesome to get him on the uh, show. Actually interviewed him in my car randomly enough before he was about to go on stage at a local startup uh, event in Los Angeles. So talking to him in the car, you know, get the 25, 30 minute conversation 
on audio, it sounded great. I was really nervous about how it was going to perform, uh, but it's fantastic. Then I went into this startup event, and there's 200 people in the crowd waiting to hear him speak. So it felt like it was knocking it out of the park after walking into the startup uh, event where he was actually speaking about Hooked and how to build habit-forming products. So anyway, uh, really excited. I'm going to rebrand the show. So the name of the show is going to change. I actually was nervous saying that because I'm afraid to publicly admit that this is the case. I'm going to change the Influencer Economy website. It's going to be more of an education site, more knowledge-based, more with people they can learn about the principles of the influencer economy and take classes and moving more towards a resource-based website where the new show, which is yet to be finalized with the name, is going to be more of the content. And if I launch other shows, which I have some of the works, uh, they will be housed on this parent site as well. So separating the brand, I'll go into this in more depth, actually, most likely in my courses. And uh, one of these moments in time where the Influencer Economy podcast has run its course, and uh, it's been a great resource for the podcast, or for the book, and that was one of the inspirations for the name, of course. But it's a little, it's too cumbersome, it's a long name, it's stories from the influencer economy, not really something that I think is memorable that flows off the tongue. And also in iTunes, I, I've gotten feedback that people thought this was more of a how-to podcast based on the title. I'm talking about the economy using a niche advertising word like influencer. And it's been great for getting guests because it has a solid foundation to it. But with iTunes and Discovery and podcast networks, it's ultimately leaving a bit to be desired because this is more of a story-driven show. It's more about people. And we're not talking about traditional business. We're talking about values you have that you put out into the world that you can ultimately make money from and you ultimately monetize. But having the right values gives you positioning to earn more income. But we're not here to give you a guide to a million dollars. And I, I, I'm a strong believer in the business podcast landscape, but I'm not a believer of what I call the bottom feeder economy, uh, using the word economy again, because I think it promotes something that everyone has to monetize their audience in these ways that are not authentic and I feel like everyone's pitching a product or trying to sell something in the business community of podcasting, and I'm over it. That's not me. That's not the show. I'm about people. I'm about stories. I'm not going to come here and tell you how to run your Facebook campaign or build your website in a way to monetize your community with lead gen. It's not who we are. It's not what I'm about. I work very hard for the brand of the show to be accessible, to be giving back to the community. And focusing on what kind of value I give and receive from the people who listen. And that's what it's all about. So thank you for coming along on the journey. That was a long-winded way of talking about what I'm thinking. Never verbalized this out loud. So forgive me if I'm stumbling along the way. Finally, if you want to pre-order the book, I got to put that in there <laughs> as a plug. Influencereconomy.com slash book projecting it to come out in December and I'll be announcing the chapters and actually giving out chapters for free to people on the email list. So email me if you'd like to be a part of that to get the content in advance. So heading over to Duke Zeberts. Julia is sleeping right now. 
she was tough to put down today with the in-laws and I, I did uh, nap time in the afternoon. She's now about 22 months. Read her a bunch of books about the beach and about other aspects. I don't know what I read her about. It's just kids books. So read her, napped her. We'll get up, hang out with the in-laws and heading over to Duke Zebert's for some chicken in the pot and maybe some matzo ball soup with Julia. Mm-hmm.